Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Beat My Guest. I'm your host, AJ Mass. If you're new to the show, each week I invite a guest to sit in the hot seat and field questions in a wide variety of topics, earning points for the episode on a scale of 1 to 100. For those of you playing along at home, you have but one task set before you, and that is to see if you can beat my guest. But before you can beat my guest, you need to meet my guest. So let's give a warm welcome to today's guest, Muffy Morocco. Muffy, how are you? Hello! I'm just dandy. How are you doing, AJ? I am doing just fine. I am so happy to have you back in the hot seat. Uh, it is not your first rodeo, as it were. Second rodeos are probably pretty scary, too. Indeed, indeed. Especially since the first rodeo was just this local thing, and now the second rodeo is the Calgary Stampede, and like you know, <laughs> people are watching you. It's the pressure, the pressure. Uh, and you're a big, you're a big, like uh, you know, famous trivia person now, right? Aren't you? Amongst the trivia people, I suppose. I mean, I don't know. If, I think famous might be not the right adjective. All right, people but yes, might have you. people might have seen you on the TV. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about that, and uh, you know, just whatever you want to, to pimp, plug, and all that good stuff. Yes, yes, I am renowned slash famous for having been on this uh, first season of the best ever trivia show on the Game Show Network. I was one of a rotating cast of trivia experts, uh, so called, and uh, it was great. We had uh, I got to be in thirty four episodes, so lots of Muffy on the TV. Excellent. You know, if if I can't get my Buffy on the TV, at least I want my <laughs> Buffy on the TV. Yeah, I don't kill vampires. I I, I do not have the the kickboxing skills. <laughs> no, no, but I am hopeful that you will be able to slay at least some of these questions. Ooh, yeah. See what I did there? Oh, this is gonna be a fun season, folks. <laughs> We're only getting started here with episode two here. Uh, so let you guys know if you happen to be listening for the first time, and if you are listening for the first time, where have you been? Uh, there are gonna be four rounds of four questions apiece. In each round, I will let Muffy and you listening along at home uh, know the categories in order that we'll be using for that round. Before I read each question, you get to lock in how many points you wish each question to be worth. Get it right, you get the points. It is just that simple. There's also going to be a halftime bonus worth a maximum of 10 points. And at the end of the game, Muffy, you get to field what we call the confidence question. Your last chance to try and improve your final score, but I will explain all of that when we get there. We cannot get there unless we introduce round one. Are you ready to hear what the new categories for you today are going to be? I, yes, I have like the nervous teeth emoji face. Like the, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm ready. She's quite the chatterer, folks. <laughs> Point values, Muffy, as always. In round one, one, three, five, and seven, here are the categories we'll be using today, kicking things off with Around the World. Moving on to one of our new categories, Odd Man Out, following up with Analogies, and we're going to wrap up round one with Music. But first things first, Around the World, one, three, five, or seven. Let me think about this. I'm just going to anticipate uh, Around the World... I will rather rashly start with five. All right. Uh, you should probably see a doctor about that rash. Uh, <laughs> five points around the world. Here's your first question, and good luck, Muffy. <laughs> no, really. Good luck, Muffy. <laughs> <laughs> Satish Dawan is the name of what country's primary launch facility, named after one of its preeminent mathematicians and engineers? Satish Dawan? Launch facility, math engineers. Uh, dare I ask, can you spell that for me? I can indeed. Satish, S-A-T-I-S-H. Not to confuse with one of the sequels to Blackish. It's not Sadish. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Dawan, D-H-A-W-A-N. Satish Dawan. Okay, I basically spelled it right. Uh, <laughs> just just by hearing it. Um, this is not something I have ever particularly heard of, but I'm thinking launching, you either have a space program or you've got missiles. And I know, uh, let me think, Satish Dawan... I will just go out and guess, uh, I believe they have nuclear weapons, so why wouldn't you want to launch them? I'm going to say India. India is your answer. That's interesting. You were thinking weapons. I thought perhaps uh, North Korea being in the news uh, so much, you might have gone that route for weapons, whereas the Vikram Lunar Lander was in the news recently because this country was attempting to become just the fourth to land on the moon, and as it was landing... They lost contact with it just at the last second. Yeah, uh, did loopy-loops, and then it went bye-bye. <laughs> exactly, but you ended up in the right location because that is indeed the Indian space program. India is the answer. Five points for you. Well done. Hooray! I, I went with violence, and instead I got lunar landings, but hey, I got the points. Uh, you know, it, it, we don't ask how, just if, and... Uh... <laughs> You did not lose signal there for too long, so well done. <laughs> uh, it must be a bummer. Odd Man Out is our next uh, it's a brand uh, new one. I, you know, just because uh, I don't like music very much, I, I'm going to get three points and hope that it doesn't bite me in the Odd Man Out. Okay, very good. I was going to explain what it was first, but you know, if you want to put the three on it, that's fine. No, no, no <laughs> just because I know that I ain't, I ain't uh, yeah. Why not? It's only three points. Three points, excellent. Well, Odd Man Out, uh, one of our new categories here. This is essentially a multiple choice. I am going to give you four items uh, listed uh, in alphabetical order. Basically, it's it's the one of these things is not like the other. There's going to be four four answers given to you. Three of them are going to have something in common, uh, something more than surface level. You know, uh, there's not going to be like three guys and a woman, or you know, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but there's going to be something that three something of them have in common. Meaningful, like exactly a meaningful thing. Three people or things on this list will have something in common. The fourth will be odd man out. Tell me which one's the odd man out. You know, if you can come up with a reason, that'd be great too. But if you happen to just take a random guess, hey, I'll still give you the points. I just, you know, we'll have to work harder on the editing. <laughs> <laughs> Here is your three-point odd man out: Charles Duke, Fred Hayes, Gene Cernan. Harrison Schmidt. Mm. Which one is Odd Man Out? So I have Charles Duke, Fred Hayes, Gene Cernan, and Harrison Schmidt. Uh, I know Fred, Gene, and Harrison, I believe, were all Apollo astronauts. Fred is on the Apollo 13. I believe he was played by Bill Paxton in the film. And he got, he got sick. He got the fever. Gene Cernan was, I believe, the last man to be on the moon left his daughter's initials written in the lunar dust. Harrison Schmidt, I believe, was the first geologist to, like, the official scientist to go and not just a hotshot pilot guy. Charles Duke <laughs> could very well be one of them. It might be who's been on the moon and who hasn't. <laughs> so this is where knowing too much is a dangerous thing. Um, but just, that name doesn't look familiar. Uh, it sounds so fancy. He's a duke. I am just going to say it's Charles Duke and probably be wrong. 
Okay, so your answer is Charles Duke. Well, uh, you are absolutely in the right uh, atmosphere, stratosphere, I don't know, ionosphere. <laughs> I don't know my space too well. Uh, yeah, these are all names of astronauts. Every single one of them. All four of them, all astronauts. All of them in the Apollo program. Ah. So uh, the difference is not that one of them is made up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, so three of these men are amongst the small, small group of men who have walked on the moon. One of them is not. Yeah, that's Fredo. Yeah, Fred Hayes was scheduled to walk on the moon, of course, in Apollo 13, as you said. Also, he was scheduled to be the captain of Apollo 19 and was also going to walk on the moon a second time. And, of course, as we know, the space program was kind of... uh, over and done with at that point. So twice a loser there for Fred Hayes, unfortunately. Uh, and he is not one of the men to have walked on the moon. Hence, he is odd man out. <laughs> Cannot give it the points. But but kudos for, for at least recognizing at least some of the names. Yeah, on, yeah. On the now I'm going to be mad when I hear that song by the police about walking on the moon. Uh, well, some may say. Uh, <laughs> we're going to move on now. <laughs> <laughs> it was only three points, Bob. Only three points. And you have two questions left in the round. One is going to yeah. be the low. One is going to be the high. One and seven? Uh, I'm, yeah. <laughs> analogies is next. Which one would you like uh, to use on analogies? I will foolishly give analogies seven. <laughs> All right. Seven points for analogies. Good luck to you. Here is your seven-point analogies question, in which we ask you to complete the analogy. James Brown is to Apollo as Michael Jackson is to what? Oh, my. So... James Brown, obviously the singer, the, I believe the godfather of soul, at least certainly an uncle. You know, there's an avuncular relationship to soul, I believe. Michael <laughs> yes, Jackson. Yes, yes, James Brown, he of the nondescript avuncular relationship to soul. What a nickname. <laughs> <laughs> it, it never caught on for some reason. Uh, <laughs> Michael Jackson, the king of pop, but Apollo... I, I, you know, yes, we were just mentioning Apollo missions that went to the moon, but James Brown never went to the moon. And then uh, I'm thinking, isn't it in the in Rocky that James Brown sings for Apollo Creed? So I really have no idea. Sorry, seven points. It was nice thinking about you. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say James Brown like sang for Apollo Creed. So Michael Jackson sang for Clubber Lang. Clubber Lang is your answer. When I write these analogies, I never know where people are going to go, and I am so delighted by where you went with this one. It's not even close. (laughs) But the logic was so spot on in that, yes, James Brown saying, living in America as Apollo Creed came to the ring to face Drago in the Rocky movies. Absolutely. It should be right. Clubber Lang was in the Rocky movies. Sure. It's... It's potentially correct. Absolutely. <laughs> Love it. But no. Not... <laughs> no, those points are going to an early grave for you, Muffy, unfortunately. Uh, speaking of graves, uh, so when James Brown passed away, uh, the public outpouring of love and support was so great that they actually held an open casket memorial service at the Apollo Theater. And uh, so although it was a closed casket for Michael Jackson, when he passed away, Again, public outpouring so great, they had to 
Yeah, Staples Center. the Staples Center is the answer. Staples, Staples Center. That is your answer for this analogy, where these great rock legends were put on a display for a public memorial. Oh. Yours was a much more positive, uplifting. Although, you know, I, was, I mean, it didn't quite work because Michael Jackson. I mean, he was too. He was too big to be in like Rocky Three. Uh, then again, you know, uh, when Apollo Creed went into the ring after James Brown sang, he was immediately killed. So, <laughs> you know, eh, death was, was around. Was I, 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 you, AJ, you must break me. Death is all around. Anyway, uh, let's move on to music, oh, shall we? Yeah, the, the, the answer will again be Clubber Lang. <laughs> well, you might want to rethink that once you hear the question here. <laughs> it is only going to be one point. It is a music question, but hopefully, you know, let's let's uh, every point counts. Every point helps. Here, Muffy, is your one point music question. Who reached number five on the Billboard Hot 100 charts with a cover version of a Staples Singer song, which contains the lyric "Keep talking about the president, won't stop air pollution." Uh, so first. I have noticed a theme. Well, yes, uh, this is no longer the alphabet season, and so uh, the answers are not themed in terms of first letter, but uh, I've gone back to my old habits of doing some sort of through line from question to question, some sort of stream of consciousness no. where either the answer or the question somehow bleeds into the next, and so, yes, that uh, if that is yeah, the theme... Now, yeah, but now it's making it harder, because it's narrowing down my thinking. <laughs> the staple singer, okay, uh... Keep time. I, the, the lyric sounds so familiar to me. Who covering their song? Got to be. Um. Oh dear. Oh, oh, this is. Oh gosh, this is where I just turn into Edie McClurg. <laughs> <laughs> He's a righteous dude. Oh, oh dear. Oh my. Um. <laughs> oh, I. Well, it's only one point, Muffy. I mean, one point. You just, you just kissed ten of them goodbye. <laughs> uh, and ah, oh, I have no idea. I will just. Uh, I, I, the who? I don't know. <laughs> not, not, the, no, no, not Clever Lang. Not Clever Lang. Well, you know, although I will say, uh, I tend not to give the answer in the question, but I guess if the answer were the who, I could say who in the, in the question, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, it's okay. It's crafty like that. I don't know. Uh, the Staple Singers, which is a singular, Staple Singers. It's not the Staples Singers. I used to think it was the Staples Singers. It's actually singular. The Staples Singers. They had a hit in their day with a song called Respect Yourself. And uh, one of the lyrics, of course, is Keep talking about the president won't stop air pollution. In the mm -hmm. remake of which we are talking about, actually, June Pointer of the Pointer Sisters was the one who sang this line. She was singing alongside the artist who gets credit for the song, gets credit for the top five hit status. I mean, it's a, it's a sad state of affairs in pop music uh, from time to time when actors become singers. Yet for some reason, people dug the Bruce Willis. <laughs> Bruce Willis was the answer we were looking for. Respect that was, yourself. That was nowhere in my brain. There, there's like tumbleweeds rolling through my skull right now. Bruce Willis is the answer. At uh, he, you know, he was he was singing uh, Seagram's Golden Wine Cooler songs, and uh, he thought he could sing. And uh, yeah, it, yeah, it was a different era. I don't. I was thinking like Keith Moon. I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I could see it. I could see it. But uh, no, no. Uh, the points, much like <laughs> yeah, the cow, yeah, yeah, no. sail over the moon. <laughs>
But still, it was not a complete failure of a round. You did get one question right. It was worth five points. Five out of a possible 16. It's better than zero. Okay. It's better than Ezra. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Round two. Point values, they're going to increase to two, four, six, and eight. Categories, well, they're going to be a different four than we had in round one, because where would be the fun in that? Here are those categories for you, Muffy. We're going to kick things off with television. We're going to move on to audio hodgepodge, which admittedly is a bit of a lifestyle. And then we're going to have two new categories for you to round out round two and the first half. We're going to have the sorting hat. And we're going to end up the round with return to sender. But first things first, old familiar television, two, four, six, or eight. Uh, let me... Let me give television six, although you're kind of TV devious, so. <laughs> Some might say I'm all things devious. <laughs> the category, <laughs> be damned. Uh, this is true. Uh, but yeah, we'll see how it goes. Six points okay. for television. Good luck, Muffy. Here is your question. Sybil Shepard, who was a one-time Bruce Willis co-star on Moonlighting, had a sitcom on CBS for four seasons in the 90s, playing the titular character Sybil. What a stretch. What actress won an Emmy for a co-starring role on that show? Uh, so, I kind of remember this sitcom. So, if I recall correctly, this was sort of Sybil's big return, right? And she had, if I remember correctly, because there's a lot of TV on in the 90s. <laughs> True. And there's some that I missed, right? But if I recall correctly, I believe this is the breakout role for Christine Baranski, which is what I will go with. Okay, so Sybil was a show, now, admittedly, a huge stretch for Sybil Shepard to play a character named Sybil, who was was in her 40s and was an actress and was having trouble getting work after uh, early success in her career. Hmm, where do they come up with the ideas of this show? It's so method. (laughs) It is. Now, you know, in today's era of the the, the hashtag MeToo and and all this stuff, apparently Sybil claims that the show was canceled after a couple of seasons because she wouldn't uh, succumb to uh, Les Moonves' advances. I don't know anything about whether or not that's true, but that's her story. And, you know, well, proof is in the pudding, as it were. The show was canceled. So... That's all I'm going to say about that. But on to the happy sitcom-y <laughs> plot lines of the show. <laughs> there was a character called Marianne Thorpe. It was a breakout character for a woman who has gone on to uh, pretty much be an Emmy mainstay, mostly for The Good Wife of Late. Christine Baranski is Yay! indeed the correct answer. Six points for you. Well done. Yay! And you were worried I was going to be super devious. I All I'm asking to do is remembering this horrible sitcom from the CBS. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I knew that one. This is, there's still tumbleweeds in my skull. Well, one of the tumbleweeds must have uh, hit on the right <laughs> nerve ending there. Synapses. Good job. Six points for you. We're going to move on now to Audio Hodgepodge. Here's how Audio Hodgepodge works. As always, the old familiar category. I'm going to ask you a question. Then I'm going to play a little clip for you. When I'm done playing the clip, the idea is that you're going to have a much better chance of getting the answer right after hearing the clip than before. (laughs) Doesn't always work that way, but that's the theory. (laughs) How many points? Two, four, or eight for Audio Hodgepodge? I will give Audio Hodgepodge eight just because the other two categories are new. I don't, you know, it's... It's it's an interesting strategy. Uh, You know, do you you jump into the unknown uh, guns a-blazing or do you you play it (laughs) safe? Do you lose the points now or later? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's one theory. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, eight points for Audio Hodgepodge. Here is your question, very simply put. Who is heard in this clip 
giving some unexpected advice about how to succeed. I started to type up stories on an old typewriter that I had, and, uh, and I started to send them to magazines, and I pounded a, a, a nail into the wall, and I'd get the rejection slips back, and I would put them on that nail, and around the time that I turned 17 or 18, uh, the nail fell out of the wall because there were so many rejection slips on it. So I got a bigger nail. And uh, if there's any, any secret that I know to success, it's uh, <laughs> if you don't succeed, get a bigger nail. All right. <laughs> Voice sounds familiar, but not super familiar. So magazines and rejections and stories, writing things as a child, get a bigger nail. Trying to think who would write things as a child, not Stephen King. I don't know. I, he also sounds sort of avuncular. Uh, <laughs> that was not James Brown. <laughs> no, avuncular adjacent. I have no idea why this is coming to mind, but just because the idea that like a teenager would send off things to a magazine seems really old school to me. Just because I have no idea why this is in my head. I think just because we mentioned TV, I'm going to say Norman Lear. Norman Lear is your answer. So, uh, as I said, uh, we're going back to our old school roots here on Beat My Guess, where there is somehow, if you can somehow jump into this jumble of a brain of mine, you sometimes can see the connective tissue from question to question. Uh, answer to the last question was Christine Baranski. Christine was in my head. You said it couldn't possibly be Stephen King, and yet, yet, Muffy, it is. And so now you are in misery because... <laughs> Stephen, that was Stephen King. Yeah, well, he did. He sounded too avuncular. I don't know why. I think he would have like a sinister cackle. Yeah, he uh, he was uh, a prolific writer, typing on the keyboards and uh, typey, 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 sendy, 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 rejection, rejection, rejection. Get a bigger <laughs> nail. Muffy, who else is more prolific than that? Bad <laughs> Muffy, bad. It's okay. It's okay. Even though it was eight points, plenty of time left. Plenty of questions left. All good. The Sorting Hat is next. <laughs> May it sort me well. Now, uh, let me explain what the category is. I mean, you, you still have two and four, so you can decide uh, what you want to put on this. But let me explain the category first. Maybe that'll help tip the scales. So the Sorting Hat has nothing to do with the Ravenclaw or anything like that. I am going to give you three items. I may flat out state the item. I may just give you a clue to what the item is. But there'll, there'll be three items, A, B, and C. And I will tell you how I want you to sort them, either oldest to newest, highest to lowest, something like that. How many points would you like to wager on this sorting hat? Two or four? I will try four. Four points for your first sorting hat. Excellent job. I hope I will say that again at the end when you give me the correct answer. We'll see here. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Here are your three items which you are to sort for me from low to high. So these are all going to be numerical values. Uh, clue A, the actual room number of the Stephen King suite at the Stanley Hotel. That is clue A. Clue B, a sitcom starring Marla Gibbs and Jacquet. Clue C, the telephone area code for the state of Maine. Please sort these from low to high. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talk it out. You never know. All right. All right. So 227, I know, is the sitcom. The actual room, now I'm trying to think of The Shining. For some reason, 214 came into my head, and I really have no notion if that is right or not. Usually I'm too scared of what I'll see in that room. <laughs> uh, area code for me. So a lot of those 
early area code, so it was, you had to make it so, like, you didn't, it, when it was like a rotary phone, basically, like, it was, you, they made them very different numbers, so that's why, like, New York was two, like, two, one, two, then it was two, one, three for Los Angeles, it was, like, the most easiest things for the most populous areas. I know Connecticut, I believe, is 203. Oh, oh wait, I have students in Maine, hold on. I'm a tutor. I'm trying to think of their phone numbers, but I don't. Nobody knows phone numbers anymore, AJ. Yeah, it's just uh, speed dial one. <laughs> um, I will. I'm gonna. All right. Ugh. I don't know. The room number I think actually is bigger. I don't know why. Now I'm changing everything. I'm gonna go area code Maine, thinking it's a two one something because it's a whole state. It gets a two one something. Then I will say two two seven the sitcom. And then for absolutely no good reason, I will say the hotel suite, not remembering what the number of the room is. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let us go over these. So the telephone area code for the state of Maine is 207 for the entire state. They are just about to the point where they filled up and they're going to have to come up with a secondary uh, area code for it. But 207. As you correctly assess that sitcom starring Marla Gibbs and Jacquet was 207. Two seven, absolutely true. Uh, so so far so good. See, is yeah, yeah, before no. B. <laughs> Question is, where does A slot in here? So in the movie, the room number in The Shining of all the creepy creepies is mm. two thirty seven. In fact, they made a documentary about the uh, The Shining called Room Two Thirty Seven. Uh, that is in the movie. However, I am asking for the actual room number of the room that Stephen King stayed in when he wrote, uh, that he came up with the idea for The for the Shining. It is still commemorated today. It is one of the most popular rooms at the Stanley Hotel. And the actual room number is actually 217, ah! which would slot it in the middle there. We were looking C, A, B, main room sitcom. So I cannot give you the points, but you were darn close. Darn close, Muffy. Maui. That's my Jack A. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. Maui, maybe. Just, just, just sit on the stoop and get over it, okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna like pearl. I'll just hang out the window. So close, so close, so close. Ah, uh, well, if you enjoyed that that one, <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. I, I like I like that new category. We'll, the, the jury will be out, folks. So uh, when when you're done listening to this episode, please. Join in on the, our Facebook page, Beat My Guest, The Fans Hot Seat, and let me know how you feel about all of our new categories, and well as the old ones. Uh, I'm sure you'll have some choice words here. Muffy, our final category in this half, it's going to be worth two points to you. It is called Return to Sender. It's a new category. Here is the gist of Return to Sender. It's a bit of wordplay, a little bit of punny punderdome type thing i am going to be inspired by the previous uh, question to kind of stream of consciousness give me some sort of name word phrase something and then i'm going to alter it by uh something i might add a letter i might take away a letter i might change a letter in that uh recognizable phrase to come up with a brand new phrase and then i'm going to give you a clue towards that new phrase okay. so i of course will tell you uh heading in which what which form of the wordplay i'm using whether it's add a letter remove a letter or change a letter and uh, your job is to uh not give me the original phrase although you could use that as a, as a thinking point to give me the new phrase we good we copacetic sure for example <laughs> if i had thoughts in my head big wheel and I said I was adding a letter, and then I described a prison where they had to steer by holding the circular 
object, you might say brig wheel, because I would have added a letter ah, from big to brig. Got it. Of course, I'm not adding a letter this time, however. I am changing a letter. So I'm taking one of the letters in the original, changing it to a different letter, and then coming up with a new phrase, which I will define for you now. For two points, Muffy, here is my definition. This canine hellraiser wants to make sure that you're aware that his fur got covered in some sort of green-hued paint. Okay. Canine Hellraiser covered in green paint. So coming from Stephen King, I'm assuming it has to be Cujo. Not a lot of letters in there. <laughs> Cujo, Kojo, Coco, Cuco, Cujo. Oh, my. AJ. And that's me. Those are letters, too. <laughs> <laughs> I got that going for me. <laughs> Canine Hellraiser, are there other... It's got to be Cujo. I can't think of another Stephen King dog scenario. I mean, like, basically every Stephen King plot is it's blank, but it's psycho. It's a dog, but it's psycho. It's a teen girl, but she's psycho. It's a car, but it's psycho. This canine fur covered in green paint. Where would the green paint come in? Who gets covered in green paint? Or what is green? And now the only thing I can think of that, that I have the overlap of Cujo and green is I just have the Philly fanatic stuck in my head. <laughs> Uh, Jujo. I, I will change to the C to a J. I, this is, you know, this is not going well. <laughs> oh, it's going just fine. This is, this is going to be a tough one. This is going to be a tough category. I can already see the writing on the wall that this is going to be tough, but I'm going to stick with it, folks. It's better <laughs> than only in Florida. You want me to go back to that, folks? I don't think so. I love right. only in Florida question because I read about pork chops. <laughs> <laughs> you, unfortunately, Muffy, fell into my little... My little trap, my little web. Oftentimes, there'll be that bait answer. Cujo was the bait answer here. You heard dogs, you heard Stephen King. The key here was that I said it was a canine hellraiser. I was spinning off of Stephen King into his fellow horror writer by the name of Clive Barker. Clive Barker says that's why he's canine, because he barks. Hellraiser is a book written by Clive Barker, so the canine Hellraiser is someone who barks, right? Uh, He wants to make sure that you're aware his fur got covered in green paint. Clive Barker becomes Olive Barker. (laughs) This is next level dad joke stuff. Shame (laughs) on you. Shame on me? Maybe, but no points for you. <laughs> I'm just going to go back to Philly Fanatic. <laughs> is it is it Clubber Lang? <laughs> it's, it, it's Clubber Clang. Clubber Clang. clang, clang. <laughs> well, I think we've all learned something, is that this is going to be a fun category. <laughs> <laughs> you see, going forward, people are going to be a little more aware and ready for it. Uh, Muffy is hearing this one blind. She did not get a chance to listen to episode one before this one. So uh, be forewarned, folks, when you jump in the hot seat, it's going to be pretty particularly scalding this season. Six points in that round, though. Six points, more than you got in round one. That's a a step forward. Going to add those six to the five. That gives us double digits. Double digits. Heading in the half with double digits, always a good thing. 11 points. And Muffy, it is time for the halftime bonus. Now, normally in seasons past, this has been our only partial credit question of the game. It is no longer a partial credit question. Nay, nay, we're doing things a little differently this season. Our halftime bonus this year, we are going to give you the name of a top 10 list. Is that the Olive Barker I just heard? <laughs> yeah, there's an Olive Barker here. Sorry. <laughs> no problem, no problem. Uh, it's on theme, it's okay. Uh, it's very on theme, in fact. I'm going to give you a top 10 list. 
and then I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think about which answer you want to give me. You're only going to give me one answer for one of the 10 things on the list. How are we going to figure out how many points you get? Well, if you give me the number one item on the list, you're going to get one point. If you give me the number two item on the list, you're going to get two points and so on. If you give me the number 10 item on the list, that's worth 10 points to you. So there's a little bit of gaming going on here. Do you go for something a little bit lower on the list? You go something uh, more of a sure thing, you'll get fewer points for it. But if you give me anything that's not on the list, so from 11 on, no points. So it really is a gambling game of sorts here. What happened to you in your life to make you so mean? It's not mean, it's devious. <laughs> As the avuncular, uh, you know, avuncular figure of, of Soul sang, it's hot in the hot seat. Papa's got a brand new bag for you this season. <laughs> and it may be full okay. of poo. I don't know. <laughs> so, Muffy, here is your top ten list for this week's episode. Listen to the list. We'll take a brief break. And when we come back, you'll give me your answer. Top ten most wins by breed at the Westminster Dog Show. Looking for oh. the... Breeds that have won the most times the award of best in show at the Westminster Dog Show. Uh, I will give you a caveat for this list. There are a few ties on the list. Ties will be broken by the most recent win of that breed. Take a few mm -hmm. moments to think about your answer to this question, and we will be back after the break. If you'd like to support Beat My Guest, helping to make more episodes like this possible, please consider becoming a patron. Just like Steve, Philip, Blair, and Chris, just a few of the most recent subscribers to our podcast. Check out patreon.com slash beatmyguest for details. And now back to me for the second half of this week's episode. And welcome back to Beat My Guest. My guest this week is Muffy Morocco. When we last left Muffy, she was sitting on 11 points. She was very, very cross with your host, but that's okay. We will abide. She was also working on the following halftime query. Her top ten list for this episode. Most wins by breed at the Westminster Dog Show, referring to the best in show title. What breeds have won that award the most often? I have a list of ten here. Muffy, whenever you're ready, let me know what you're thinking and which answer you're going to settle on please be as specific with your breed as possible yeah so i'm trying to think there's been a lot of westminster dog shows it's like a hundred years i think a dog popularity has sort of come and gone and the you know the the, the the criteria are a little arbitrary you know like they they who's a handsome looking dog and they 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 handle their you know nether regions and such see see how they trot these sorts of things. I feel like standard poodle is really common. I believe a Bichon Frise has won at least twice. I feel like a German Shepherd is a handsome, common kind of dog. I feel like they're the common ones. I want more points. I'm going... Argh. But, uh, I mean, there's... Like, you know, you got your Retrievers and your Spaniels and your Affin Pinchers. I believe a Skipper Key won this year. A Shipper Key. Um, I am, just for no good reason, other than I had one growing up, and I volunteer with a group called Bichon for Kids, where I foster dogs. And I get them out of the shelter, and I transport them to the vet. I'm going to say my favorite, the Bichon Frise. The Bichon Frise. Now, I do believe, if memory serves, the most recent winner was, in fact, a Bichon Frise. I, I do believe that, that uh, the, the last winner was that. Uh, unfortunately, Muffy, 
Unfortunately, you needed to have won four times to make this list. A lot of breeds have won one or two a handful of times. Needed four, so unfortunately you're not going to earn any points for this one. Let me go over the list for those of you playing at home. Should have said, I know I know now. I know. Number one, well, see, that's the thing. You, you, you say something safe, you, say you go for the, the, the points, it's, it's, it's a balance. With 15 wins, the Wire Fox Terrier tops the list. That would have given you one point. The Scottish Terrier, with eight wins, is in second. Third, with six, the English Springer Spaniel. And then the rest are all tied with four. So again, I said I was sorting by the most recent would get you higher on the list. So four points. Pekingese, five points. The Standard Poodle, which you had said. Six points. A Doberman Pinscher. You mentioned Pinschers there. Uh, Maybe not the Doberman, but you mentioned Pinschers, I believe. Seventh, the Sealy Ham Terrier. No idea. <laughs> I think it's sort of long and, yeah, like sausage Yeah, long and strong. Uh-huh. Got to get the friction on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a dog with a lot of back. Uh, <laughs> in eighth, the boxer. He stands in a clearing. Lie, lie, lie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in ninth, the Airedale Terrier. And four victories, but not since 1910. Tenth on our list would have given you the full ten points. The smooth fox terrier. What's with the fox terrier popularity? Terriers usually win. A lot of terriers have won over the years. Terriers, they are my favorite breed. Terriers. Uh, <laughs> Should have gone poodle. Round three. Point values are going to stay the same. Two, four, six, and eight. At least I didn't mention how rough that question was. Ah! Categories are going to be a changing. <laughs> Here's what they're going to be a changing to. Yeah. We're all a little embarrassed now. <laughs> Two, four, six, eight point values. Yes, sir. Trying to move along here. Round three, here are your categories, Muffy. We're going to kick things off with Fungo. Fungo is back, folks. Fungo is back. Fungo. Move along to Who Done It. Followed up with a new category. It is called I Deafen Grandma. <laughs> and we're going to wrap up the round three questions with a repurposed category used to be literature now we're calling it by the book and that's by not b-u-y first things first though muffy is fungo two four six or eight i will give fungo four four for fungo fungo absolutely why not why not indeed fungo as you know three clues each alike in dignity all pointing towards the same singular answer. Here are your three clues, Muffy, for four points. Clue number one. Costumed character from Texas, which was replaced for a time by Junction Jack. Clue number two. Sugarless product, originally released in 1899. Clue number three. Body part with a volume of approximately 30 milliliters. Those are your fungos. What is the answer? All right. Costume Texas. Sugarless in 1899. I got nothing on this man. All right, so Costume Texas, the only thing, like, I'm trying to think of the Lone Ranger, or, you know, but is, was he replaced by Junction Jack, or was it Tonto? Or <laughs> Silver? I have no idea. <laughs> That's the only tex- Costume Texan. No, maybe it's a... Uh, I mean, I'm assuming he said Sugarless and that it should have some kind of sugar. And it's not just like a piece of bread. <laughs> uh, the the answer the answer to cost, the answer to costumed character from Texas is not piece of bread. Vulcanized rubber. 
I don't know. And a body part with a volume, 30 milliliters. That's not much. 30 milliliters volume. Um, let me think. What would have a volume in your body? It would be a little, like a gallbladder or your appendix. Oh, I have no idea. Oh, man. I, the lone gallbladder. <laughs> That is my answer because I don't know what's going on. It's okay, Muffy. <sighs> Do you need a hug? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll get nothing from me. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, it was a, this was a tough one. This was a tough one, but we, we can work our way through it. So, obviously, the body part, like you said, it's got to have a volume. So, it's maybe perhaps something that has uh, some sort of cavity to it. So, it could be filled, perhaps. It is in your skull. You're looking at me with a very strange look on your face. Is it a tooth? It is not a tooth. You're looking at me with something very oh, strange. Oh, my eyeball. It is where your eyeball sits. My socket? It is called the orbit. <gasps> the orbit sugarless gum called Orbit was released by Wrigley in 1899. Oh, it's back. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the mascot of the Houston Astros... A costume character is named Orbit. They used to, they're the Astros. They used to play in the Astrodome. It's got a spacey kind of term. Uh, they had this alien named Orbit. What a nice name. They moved uh, to a new stadium, which was at one time called Enron Field. <laughs> that naming didn't last very long. Uh, but uh, they replaced it with uh, Junction Jack because they have this train in the outfield, and he was the kind of the conductor of the train. And then they people were like, "Can we bring Orbit back?" And they did. And suddenly they started winning again. Coincidence? I think not, because mascots no. have impact. Orbit is the answer. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, cannot give you the points, but uh, hopefully you see it now. See, <laughs> see, hopefully you see it now. Well, at least the answer wasn't Norbit. <laughs> no, no, it certainly is not. That that can boomerang back on you in a really harsh way. <laughs> oh, that was a good question. What? God, they should have was done in 1899. Believe it or not, yeah. What did they replace it with? Vulcanized rubber. Vulcanized rubber. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Whodunit's up next. Whodunit, yes. that is going to be, of course, our biographical blurb that you have to listen to and then suss out who we're talking about. You have two, you have six, you have eight. Let's do eight and hope I know things. All right. Uh, well, you know things. Just whether or not uh, you've drunk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it is not, not Tyrion right. Lannister. <laughs> not the right thing. <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. Who done it? For eight points, here is your question. While most of this New York City-born's career involves ophthalmology, including a directorship at the Manhattan Eye, Ear, and Throat Hospital, it was actually a loss to Martina Navratilova and Betty Stove in the 1977 U.S. Open doubles tournament that caused the most publicity. Who done it? An eye doctor <laughs> who played the tennis. I have sussed out that's what you're asking about. Uh, your listening comprehension is on point. <laughs> <laughs> Using my ears. <laughs> I got them in addition to eyes. Heavens, New York City-born ophthalmology eye doctor lost in 1977 doubles tournament to the two ladies. Uh, heavens. Um, uh, this is not ringing any bells for me. Um, I will just... Who would be good enough to... Who, who, who could have such skills? To check the eyeballs <laughs> and to, like hit the tennis balls, you know, it's those are disparate skills. I'll just say wrongly, Arthur Ashe. <laughs> very, very wrongly, Arthur Ashe. Although Arthur Ashe did play tennis. Yeah, see, I got that going uh, for me. 
almost synonymous with the U.S. Open. Uh, the uh, they play on Arthur Ashe, in Arthur Ashe Stadium, so uh, certainly got to keep your eye on the ball. Have to keep your eye on the ball. Yeah, uh, there's a joke there that I'm not going for because. <laughs> So this was a doctor of ophthalmology, very well respected in his field. And then he uh, came out as transgender and said, uh, oh. I, want, I want to be a woman. And so uh, had the surgery and entered the U.S. Open as a female tennis player, which caused a lot of controversy. And in her first tennis tournament at the U.S. Open, she and her partner, Betty Ann Stewart, made it all the way to the finals of the women's doubles competition. Her name, Renee Richards. Renee Richards. That Indeed. I did not know. I did not know. All that's, that's, I learned something today. Well, we like to educate as well as entertain. So thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and torture. <laughs> <laughs> we like to educate as well as entertain and torture. Yes. <laughs> that's a dot, dot, dot in very small print at the bottom of it. Uh, Renee Richards had to go through a lot of litigation and uh, won a court case, which uh, allowed her to participate and uh, never really surged up the rankings too high. Um, and um, she was in her 40s. So, uh, you know, it was a late change in the game, but uh, still played well enough to uh, to make it to a, a finals of a major tournament, so that's that, that's impressive under any, under yeah. any circumstance. Cannot give you the points, but uh, I, I gave you some knowledge, and so uh, my, yeah. my heart is warm, even if your score <laughs> remains quite cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alright, let us move on. We've got a brand new category to uh, adventure out with here. It is called I Deafen Grandma. It'll be worth either two or six points. Uh, let me explain it before you answer. Although I know you're putting two points on it, but let me explain it before you answer. <laughs> so I Deafen Grandma, if you uh, look carefully, is the anagram of Anagram Defined. And this is a question involving anagrams. Simply put, I am going to read you a sentence, which is a clue to an answer. Somewhere within the clue that I read you is going to be a sequence of words uh, that anagrams to the correct answer. Okay. Uh, so you don't need to figure out the anagram to uh, come up with the correct answer. Uh, but uh, it could be a, a good uh, kind of uh, double check for you. Yeah, can't, can't hurt. Can't hurt. You know? Can't hurt. Cannot hurt at all. So, two points for Idef and Grandma. Uh, are we, are we uh, concurred on that? Sure. <laughs> how, did, how did you know? Uh, I saw a vision. I saw a vision of love, and it was all that I hoped it would be. Here, Muffy, is your two-point Idef and Grandma question. In 2019, this actor joined the cast of the latest sequel of a successful franchise, perhaps only for revenue's sake, as he was to play a new, highly marketable character. So I have to figure out what's the clue here, besides the actual question. Cast of the latest sequel, marketable character. I feel like for revenue's sake is my hint. <laughs> Hold on. I gotta see the letters. I'm making notes. Watch it be all the other words. Um, <laughs> It's not in 2019. I'll give you that much. <laughs> <laughs> it's a robot. It's the 90s <laughs> model. <laughs> and 1920i. <laughs> I'm not seeing anything, and this is because this, the pressure's on. It's hot here in the hot seat. It's good. Ref, ref, ref. Uh, why the U is pissing me off? All right, hold on. This, oh, I got nothing, man. In 2019, this actor joined the cast of the latest sequel. I'm 
going to say this actor, I will say, God, who are actors? God, I don't know anything anymore. I will just say <laughs> The Rock. The Rock is an actor. So, well, I will say, uh, Muffy, you correctly identified the words that seemed a bit uh, forced into the sentence. Those were exactly the words. Uh, Revenue sake is the words that we were looking for uh, specifically here uh, to target for an anagram. The successful franchise is Toy Story. And in in Toy Story 4, a new character named Duke Kaboom was introduced. And you now know the actor is... Keanu Reeves, dude! Keanu Reeves, yes, is an anagram of revenue's sake. Good for him. (laughs) Good for him, bad bad for you. Uh, Great for Pixar. Gettable, even without the uh, anagram, I think, but... I know, that was, you get too caught up on the one thing or the other thing, and it's really obvious now, and I'm ashamed. Uh, well, you know what? Uh, like I said, uh, you are flying blind into these categories. You you didn't know what you... You're a stuntman, just like Duke Boom, flying blind into the... <laughs> just jumping with the motorcycle and the... Mm-hmm. He's animated! <laughs> Let's see if we can animate your score with this final question. Please, this is embarrassing. In round three, six points. Six points. Yeah. It is yeah. a literature question, but again, it is, we're, we're just packaging a little differently. Uh, yeah. It's called Buy the Book. Muffy, this season, what is going to happen is I'm going to give you the year that a book was published, and then I'm going to give you four chapter titles from that book. And with that information and that information alone, uh, you are tasked with telling me which book I am talking about. Okay. I just think, you know, me and my 11 points are just like, we're cruising and Grooving and yeah, it'll be it'll be fine. It, it'll yeah. be okay. <laughs> yeah. Here is your by the book for six points. The year, nineteen eighty-seven, and your four chapters are the move to Manhattan, gaining the building on the boardwalk, long shot, the spring and fall of the USFL, ice capades, rebuilding Wallman Rink. What book are we talking about? I horrifically think I do know this. It's 1987. It was a move to Manhattan, perhaps from Queens. Building something on the boardwalk would be Coney Island. I believe the USFL is a arena football league of some sort. And Woolman Rink is in Central Park. I believe these all relate. I believe these all relate to Donald Trump. And I believe the book from 1987, when he was first popular, would be The Art of the Deal. The Art of the Deal is your answer. And, well, the author of this book in question, I mean, there's the believed author of the book. And there's the actual (laughs) author of the book, whose name is Tony Schwartz, although he was relegated to with status uh, because, of course, he's got the biggest words. He's got the best words. Uh, you know, in the song "Respect Yourself," we talked about uh, we talked about the president and a lot of air pollution. I think we got our wish here with talking about the president. We have to be talking about air pollution, a lot of hot air. Indeed, I do. I do believe that the building of the boardwalk, I think, might be the Atlantic City boardwalk and and one of the, his casinos. Oh! But regardless, you are correct. The art oh. of the deal is indeed the book we were looking for. Can you believe oh, that's what you're getting points for? No, I feel so dirty. I'm even more ashamed. <laughs> I didn't say it was fine literature. I just said it was literature. <laughs> that was a good one. I was. I like it when it clicks. You know. 
I'll click six points for you. Well done. I'm going to add those six to the 11 you had coming into the round, which means you are heading into round four with 17 bigly, bigly points. Yeah, my points can go see an R-rated movie by themselves. There is nothing kafefe about that. You can take those <laughs> points to the bank and purchase Greenland if you want. How many more of these ridiculous things am I going to have to live through before November gets here? Please, November, get here and please work out. Please, please work out. Anything, anybody. <laughs> and it's not even November this year. It's November next year. That's the scary thing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, round four. Point values are going to increase to three, five, seven, and nine. It's my podcast. You know, the political views expressed by this podcast are mine and mine alone. And uh, if you don't like it, stop listening. <laughs> They're also correct. Uh, you know what? Points! Points right now. You ain't wrong, sister. Round four categories are all classic categories that we know and love from this show. So let's get to them. We're going to kick things off with the mashup. We're going to move along to movies, followed up with sports, and we're going to wrap up round four and the second half with science. And mashup is up first, Muppy. Three, five, seven, or nine. Let's try seven for the mashup. Seven points for the mashup. Good luck. And here's your seven-point mashup question. As always, two phrases smooshed together by a common word or syllable. Here we go. West Virginian serial killer Harry Powell sits in a room at an asylum and paints the view from his window just before sunrise in 1889. Okay, so paints view 1889. So that's going to be West Virginia serial killer... Is that what it was? Harry Powell? Yes. That is going to be related to Vincent Van Gogh and the second half is Vincent Van Gogh and Starry Night. It's the first half that's real interesting. <laughs> Serial killer Harry Powell. Uh, uh, then, then, oh, I'm not gonna, yeah, uh, Starry Night I like. <laughs> A West Virginia serial killer named Harry Powell. No idea if he's real or fictional. I will simply say, just in the interest of time and not spending too much of the precious day blathering, I'll just say Starry Night Stalker. Starry Night Stalker. That is an excellent guess. An excellent thing to throw out there. Uh, Night Stalker is certainly uh, the name of a serial killer. You know, dancing around the right answer unfortunately not the right answer uh but you are absolutely correct that the looking out of the window at the asylum and painting just before sunrise 1889 is indeed the starry night vincent van gogh you got that half of the equation perfectly uh west virginian serial killer harry powell is a character he was father harry powell he was played by robert mitchum and that film was called night of the hunter put it all together the starry night of the hunter was what we were looking for close but no as they say seagar no no seagar but yeah you you, you were there you were there your 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 brain was in the right headspace i should just be like starry night (laughs) just mumble more muffin mumble more (laughs) mumble more yes he was uh at hogwarts right uh (laughs) yeah I killed it. All right, movies. Movies is up next. We have three, we have a five, and we have a nine. What say ye, Muffy? Well, sports and science ain't going to do me any better, so movies will get the nine. Nine points for movies. All right, good luck. And here is your nine point movies question Robert Mitchum, Gregory Peck, and Martin Balsam all have cameos in what 1991 film? That earned Juliette Lewis an Academy Award nomination. 
This one I do know. So Robert Mitchum was the original bad guy. Gregory Peck was the original good guy. And Martin Balsam was the original somebody else in the movie. It was remade with Robert De Niro as the bad guy. Nick Nolte as the good guy. And uh, somebody getting strapped underneath the vehicle. It is Cape Fear. Cape Fear is your answer. Yeah, Nick Nolte as the good guy. What kind of madness is this, people? <laughs> Let's get. I mean, it's not Gary Busey, but it. I mean, still, it's just a short step. <laughs> it's just a family man. Indeed. Well, yeah, you have that one absolutely dead to rights, as it were. The original uh, Cape Fear featured all those actors. They all had uh, minor roles in the remake. Uh, I believe one of them played the judge in the new yeah. uh, new one, and yeah, they, they had them all for, for, for minor roles as Martin Scorsese uh, remade Cape Fear. Uh, you are correct. Nine points for you. Well Yay! done. Excellent Yay! job. Uh, I hear that when uh, there, there's the scene that like really gets the most attention is that Robert De Niro shows up uh, at Juliet Lewis, uh, I believe, at her school and uh, kind of seduces her. And she's only 14 in the movie, so it's kind of icky. And he kind of puts his yeah. thumb in her mouth. And it's a really crazy scene. Apparently, uh, she had no idea he was going to do that. He was improvising. It was the first take. And uh, she went with it. And is pretty much on the basis of her reaction in that scene, she gets an Academy Award nomination. So, well done done on her end uh, even though yeah. uh, ugh. <laughs> ugh, exactly sports is up next i know the sports is the kind of thing that makes you want to just step on a rake and have it thwack you in the head repeatedly <laughs> some of you get the simpsons reference i'm going for there uh <laughs> how much for sports three or five we will go three for sports had a feeling had a feeling three points sports let's see maybe you can get two in a row who knows yeah. here's your question the brewster whitecaps the Orleans Firebirds, and the Harwich Mariners. These are three of the ten teams that comprise what? These, uh, heavens, me, Rooster Whitecaps, Orleans Firebirds, and Harwich Mariners. These, it's only ten teams, my. This is, wow, Brewster, Orleans, and Harwich. I feel like Harwich is somewhere in New England. Or Old England. <laughs> also known as just England. England. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but Orleans, the mix of a sort of Englishy name and a Frenchy name is making me think Canada. Because they do that up there. What is that? Oh my god, what is, what is the name of that lady sport? <laughs> what is, I know what I'm thinking of, it's just not happening. What's it called? I, this was on, it, if it's the thing I'm thinking of, no, it's like a... It's like a, like it's curling meets something, but I will just go with the Canadian Women's Curling League. The Canadian Women's Curling League, I, I, I have to say, I, I have no idea what sport you're reaching for there. Uh, and I really, I don't it's think like I want to know. Ringette or it's some Canadian thing where you, you have like a stick and a, I don't know. As I always say, if you've got a gut feeling uh, your first instinct usually is going to be closest to where we are here. You said it sounded like these might be uh, New England typey names, and they are indeed New England typey names. Howitch! Uh, Brewster! Uh, these are all teams that are uh, baseball in nature. Uh, every summer, college players from around uh, the United States come to New England and they participate in a 10-team league for the summer with lots of scouts. 
uh, from the major leagues looking at uh, what they have to do. Aaron Judge uh, played in 2012 for Brewster, went on to the major leagues. A lot of a lot of uh, players have, have uh, showcased their wares here and then gone on to uh, bigger and better things. Uh, this is the Cape Cod Baseball League, a very, very famous summer league. Oh, good for them. Indeed. So uh, can, I, can I give you the points? Because it is not, in fact, Canadian Women's Curling League. Although I'm, I'm sure there is a thing. <laughs> Cape Cod, it's shaped like an arm. Cape Cod, yeah. you got like. It's it, it's shaped like an arm. Uh, they uh, used to have a really pretty flag, but then Nantucket. Uh, <laughs> science, science, science is next. Science. <laughs> it is the final question of regulation. It's going to be worth five points. Should you get it correct? I hope you get it correct. Please get it correct. Here is that science question, Muffy. Uh, it reads as follows: Yuri Halines, such as salmon. Sturgeon and the Atlantic Stingray all share what particular trait? That's Yuri Halines. E-U-R-Y-H-A-L-I-N-E-S. Yuri Halines. Yuri Halines. It was salmon, sturgeon, and a stingray? The Atlantic Stingray. Yuri Halines. All right, so a salmon, they swim upstream, right? They go, and that's where they go to lay their eggs and for the, the thing. And the sturgeon, I don't know if they do anything that crazy. And I believe they are the source of the delicious caviar. Yuri Haley, so I'm trying to think. You, E-U in Greek means good. You're a Yuri, I don't know what that would mean. You're a Haley's in salmon, a sturgeon, and a stingray, besides starting with the letter S. Must have something in common. I will, but other fish lay eggs and have eggs, and I will say they all, I don't know, a salmon is salmon colored inside. <laughs> sturgeon. Oh, this is. Yeah. I'm just sort of naming fish now. Salmon, sturgeon, stingray, they all... They all are just because now I'm stuck on salmon. And I'm thinking of the salmon. They all have pink flesh. Is that your answer? Yeah, why not? I mean, come on. It's not getting any better from here, AJ. (laughs) You know, well, first of all, thanks a lot for stealing my they all start with S joke. But, uh... It's all good. Uh, so, yeah, Yuri Haleen's interesting creatures. They uh, are not exclusively uh, fish. There are a few other uh, crabs and uh, turtles uh, species that also fall under this purview. These creatures are all very special because they can survive in either fresh or salt water. Yes, they have a wide range of salinity survival rates. Uh, anything uh, with fresh and salt water uh, combined in your answer, give yourself the points. Unfortunately, Muffy, that does not include you. <laughs> no. No, I was thinking salmon is like more, you know, river, sturgeon, lake, or salmon also a sea. Like oh, it was in my head, it just wasn't yeah, in yeah, my mouth. No, uh, swimming around in there, ah, ah, swimming. Yeah, Haley. That's Haley means the saltiness, doesn't it? All right, so maybe we have a bit of a uh, sour end to the game, but you did get the most valuable uh, question in that round, which was nine points. Going to add that to your 17 points you had coming into the round. Hey, 26 heading into the confidence question. That is still quite, quite positive in my book. Okay. I always say if you get if you get over 25, you have won as far as I'm concerned, being in the hot seat. You at home, you have to beat the person in the hot seat, but mm-hmm, that's how it works. All right, uh, Muffy, time for the confidence question. Same as okay. always. This is your last chance to try to improve your final score. 
Only one question is before you. Only one answer is required. I will give you the category, and you must, must, wedge it between one and ten points. Get it right, and I will add those points to your score, and happily so. But Muffy, Muffy, if you get it wrong, Mm. not only will you lose those precious points, not only that, but I am going to stick you in a room with a whole bunch of dogs covered in green paint and have them dance around, rolling themselves all over you while you are listening to the book on tape of Art of the Deal read by Donald Trump himself. Oh, I was actually fine with the dogs in the paint up until then. I love dogs. I have to. <laughs> and I could see it on your face, so I had to up the ante a bit. It, we never shook hands on the deal. See, that's what you would learn. So, <laughs> so uh, as always, you have graciously provided me with three categories for me to choose from. I have deviously selected the one that I think will do the most damage to you and your psyche. So I ask you, Muffy, on a scale of one to ten, how confident are you feeling? In the category of Sweden. Sweden? Mm-hmm. Mm, that's a good question. I will be I will be medium confident because I know plenty of Swedish stuff. Yeah, Kantaler and Lita Svenska also. But uh, <laughs> what, what, just happened? what just happened? <laughs> I'm speaking Swedish at you with my magic powers. Uh, uh, I'll wager four. Because then I have either 30 or a nice 22. That is how math works. Yes. Very good. Uh, so uh, did you ever live in Sweden for a time? Yeah, just... I did. I did, actually. I studied abroad there. I actually have a master's degree. I have a master's of Swedish social studies. Very well. Very well. Then you know what? I, I, I am very... come up a lot. <laughs> Uh, I, uh, in that case, am very confident that you will get this question correct because, uh, you know, hey, this is why you chose it as your confidence question. Good luck. Fingers crossed. Here is your four-point confidence question. Dagen H, or H-Day, was celebrated in Sweden on September 3rd, 1967. Welcomed in with fireworks, choirs singing songs, and people wearing shorts with a giant letter H on their butts. What was the occasion for this celebration? Never again to be repeated. September 3rd, 1967. There were fireworks. I believe I know this. Uh, Dagen means day. and the, uh, Dagen, Dagen H, or Dagen Ho, Svenska. I think the H, the only thing I can think of in the 60s, the big significant day that never happened again in Sweden, is when they switched from driving on the left side of the road, like the Brits, to the right side of the road, like everybody else. And the Swedish word for right is hygge, which starts with an H. I could be making things up at this point, but I will just say September 3rd, 1967 is when they switched from the left side of the road to the right side of the road, like from like British driving to like everybody else driving. That long mouthful is what you said. (laughs) And that is your answer. So uh, this day, uh, H day, uh, is short for, and pardon my Swedish, because even though I have Swedish heritage, this is a mouthful. This was Dagen Hugertrafikumlagninjen, which basically means the day that they switched from the left side of the road to the right side of the road for driving purposes. Four points for you, Muffy. Yeah! I had total confidence in you for this one, indeed. Yeah, they, uh... Yeah! Apparently, they were driving on the left side of the road, uh, like England, and yet every country that borders them drives on the right side of the road, and 
after about uh, oh, about 20, 30 years of nonsense at the border, as people had to do this kind of loop-de-loop weave to get into the country to continue on their merry way, uh, they decided to unify with the rest of Scandinavia. And so they shut down all the roads, uh, and they lined uh, up all the streets with a few taxi cabs to start the new generation rolling. And, yeah, there's uh, a great film clip. They do it like at rush hour because they didn't want any. It's very Swedish to be so orderly about it. They didn't want anybody to like forget in the middle of the night, so they just stopped, <laughs> switched sides, and like there were like no accidents, and it never, never happened. You know, never to be done again. Indeed, and they, uh, they definitely they saw the for the first two months accidents actually went down, which is fantastic. They had official theme songs. In fact, for the uh, closing credits of this show, I'm going to be playing the Telstars with their song about the fact that they're moving to the right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the official I, I song. Yeah, should me be. The name of the song is Huldig to Huger Svensson. Svensson being, I guess, a generic uh, Joe Blow name. Uh, Huldig to Huger Svensson. Get to the right Svensson. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. yeah. I can hear that. Hold it close. Yeah, hold it. Yeah. Sure. Get to the right Svensson. I mean, that's it, man. So, uh, well done. You finished with 30 points. Much, much better than I think even you thought, uh, uh, certainly after the halfway point. Good comeback from you. Thank you for coming back into the hot seat. Is there anything you'd like to say uh, before I uh, send you on your merry way? Uh, no, I just want to say thank you for having me back. It was a humbling experience. Oh, it was totally my pleasure having you back. And, and you know, give yourself a few extra invisible bonus points unofficially off the record for, for again, taking part in a whole bunch of uh, new categories without any uh, warning or, or preparatory uh, alertness. Uh, yeah, I'll get you the next time, AJ. And your little green dog, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, AJ. Muffy, get out my hot seat. Time for you to go. Thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week with another exciting episode of Beat My Guest. Hope to see you there. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Did you beat our guest, or did our guest beat you? Tell us all about it on Twitter at BMGPod. Also, please review and rate us on iTunes. And if you like what you've heard, spread the word. This is absolutely not the Mark Goodson, Bill Todd, and